Well, good morning, church family. Already kind of an interesting morning, but that's all right, you know. Uh, We seem to have some difficulties recently, but those things aren't what impact the reason why we're here. What impacts why we're here is the Spirit of God who who lives inside of us as believers. What impacts this time right here is, is our own hearts, our own decisions, whether we want to, as we open the Word of God, allow it to speak into our lives or if we're just going to sit checked out in the middle of our chairs and kind of close the app and close the Bible and just kind of do the, the, the seat service here on Sunday. Uh, this time is for all of us as a church family, but also as individuals, to be able to respond to God and who He says He is and who He says that we are. And so this morning, you know, we're going to be looking at this concept of identity. And so all week long I've been, I've been reading our passage, which is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. You guys can turn there in your, in your app or with your, you know, your old-fashioned, nice, good, leather-bound or paper, whatever you know, you've got. But as I was thinking through this concept of identity and, and watching as Peter, the, the, the writer of this letter, I was watching as he was bringing out this concept. This concept of identity and speaking to a bunch of exiled Christian believers back in the day. And as I was allowing this to kind of mull over in my, in my mind, I was sitting in Starbucks, kind of writing my outline, writing some thoughts, just studying the passage. And uh, in Collierville, which is where I live, I've got to be honest with you guys, um, there's, a, there's a homeless guy who lives in Collierville. Uh, you know, there's not very many. Collierville's kind of a, you know uppity type of place, you know, but there's one in particular, he's always walking up and down the sidewalks, always hanging around the Perkins and the Starbucks right there that's next to it, and uh, he's from Nigeria, he doesn't speak a whole lot of English, he's usually barefoot, he always smells interesting, and um, he does, I'm serious, he, he walks in a room and you could be on the other side and you'd smell him, but the thing is, like, I found that my mind already had thoughts about him made up, right? And as I'm sitting here talking about, you know, thinking through identity and allowing God's Word to speak to me, I see him through the window of Starbucks walking, you know, uh, again, up and down the sidewalk. But this time he has like this blanket, you know, over his head, over his shoulders, kind of has like this Superman moment. And I was just thinking, that is so weird. What is this guy doing walking around with a blanket in a hundred and something degree heat index, whatever? You know, this is so strange. And immediately... The Holy Spirit of God got a hold of my heart and said, you know, he's valuable to me. And so I I was reminded of this story real fast as we were singing that last song, that last line, you know, if you gave your life to love them, so why? And so many of us sung that line. But as soon as I sang that line, God brought that, that, that guy back to my mind and that feeling I have right now of realizing that I had made some, some, some thoughts. And, uh, and I kind of pose, like, posed an identity on him, you know, as the, the stinky, smelly, weird, you know, guy wearing a blanket as he walks around Collierville in 100-degree weather. And, and I realized that I was then in the position of the world and what the world does to so many of us all the time. You see, our, our, our identity is, is a huge topic, 
And it's why we're going to talk about it. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to, we're going to see that. But before we get there, I just want you guys to know that God was dealing with that subject all week long in me. And I've I got to admit that that happened. I don't feel good about that. But I'm sharing that with you because the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin and righteousness and to lead us into a place where we're more like Jesus. In that moment, I was not loving him like Jesus loved him. Okay? And God was convicting me about that. And so I pray this morning that some of you would also be convicted about your identity, how you see yourself, but also maybe how you see other people. Is that fair? You see, our, our, our world today struggles with this idea of identity. There's like a crisis, an identity crisis going on. You know, in my own life, I can see multiple times throughout my history where I dealt with this, especially like in middle school and high school. Yeah, that seems to be where every teenager struggles with this concept. You know, I was a child from a broken home. My mom had been married multiple times, didn't really have a dad at home. The one that I did was abusive, you know. And so I just remember that leaving this hole, and so I'd always seek to impress other men. You know, I'd like, I, I would just want to kind of hear from them that I was doing something right or doing something good or something that they could be proud of. Does this make sense? In that vacuum of hearing my dad's voice say, I'm proud of you, son, you know, I was looking for it in other places. And so my identity, I struggled with that. I struggled with anger. I struggled with, with lots of things in this, in this way. But I found as I got older in high school, the issue was, in reality, I was trying to impress God. That's what, that's what I would do good things or, or act like the good Christian or try to follow you know, the, his laws in the Bible and be a certain way because I was trying to impress him. And the whole time it's because myself, I was telling myself that I was not worthy, all right? that, that, I, that I was a failure. And our world does the exact same thing. Almost every single person alive will experience an identity crisis at some time. And the reason is because our, our, our world tells us that we should have certain things, look a certain way, and act and talk a specific kind of way. Or, or, or we find our identity in, in other people. If you're a parent, maybe, maybe you find your identity in being the mom or dad of your, of your little dude or girl. Maybe, maybe you find your identity in your spouse as a mom. And that's finding our identity in people. Sometimes we find our identity in things, you know? Like we've got a collection, whether it's of antique cars, you know, weird air rifles, or, or whatever, you know? We, we find our identity. I'm not saying your identity is in that, but I just came to my mind. Sorry, my bad, my bad. You know? But we find our identity in stuff, and so we wear certain things. We put the Alabama A on the back of our vehicle because we're an Alabama fan. As men, we, we know this idea of identity well because when we walk into a room, we meet a new face, a new guy, and what is like the second question we're going to ask? What do you do? So what do you do? What do you do for a living? You know? What does that look like? And, and, and all of a sudden, what we're really saying there is, is I find my identity in my job, so you should too. You know? So what do you do? What does that look like? Because then I can put a label on, on you. Like if you're a car guy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because as soon as somebody asks what you do and you say mechanic, all of a sudden they're going to bring every single car problem they've gotten. The conversation will only ever be about that. You know what I mean? 
I mean, that's the same thing for anybody who's got a trade, you know. And, 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 and what, what happens is that becomes the label that is placed on us. We all find our identity in what, what we do, what we have, what people think about us. And here's the issue with that. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. One day, you won't be able to fix cars anymore. One day, your kids will be grown and out of the house. That's why we've got a term called the empty nesters. It's an identity crisis that hits once all the kids have moved out. That's why we have this idea of a midlife crisis. You start to look at your career and your past and you think, what have I really done with my life, you know? I've only got like maybe 25, 35 years left. And we start thinking, what can I change now to make sure I'm not regretting it later? You know what I'm saying? Just the fact that we have those terms shows that we all struggle with identity. And one day we won't have that thing. One day our spouse will pass away. One day we won't be able to find our identity in people, stuff, places. And that's, that's an important thing to think through, and here's why. Because people will let you down. Stuff will let you down. Keyboards will stop working when they need to work, right? And so if my identity is based in stuff or people or thing, whatever, it's going to let me down, and when that happens, everything I think about myself will suddenly come into question. And that's not right. That's not good. And that's why it's important that our identity is found in the right things. And so that's, go ahead and put that on the screen this morning. That's, that's the thought I want us to think through. I want us to see that come out of, of 1 Peter in chapter 2, that our identity is found in the work of Jesus And our purpose is to glorify Him. This is the revolutionary truth I want you to see. So I hope you guys are there. Go ahead and turn if not. Make sure that you're there because we're about to jump into this. But I want to say one last thing about identity in in, in our world today. Uh, The crisis is so huge that you have children by the age of six who are determining that they should have been born a different gender. And they, they, they believe that their identity will be found based on if they're a boy or a girl. And the world tells them that that's okay. In fact, the world tells them that they should find their identity in that. Okay? Teens at an early age are, choose from a list of orientations for what their sexuality will look like before they even learn how to drive. I mean, they're, they're, they're like a 90s child choosing their starting Pokemon, you know, and all of a sudden it totally shifts the way that they live their life. And that affects them, and suddenly they wear that label as if their identity is, is tied to who likes them or who they like. You see what I'm saying? And so it's a huge deal, and I want you guys to see why it's important right here from God's Word that you find your identity in Him. All right. So go ahead and look down in, in, in verse 4 of chapter 2. I'm, we're going to read this whole passage before we, before we move on. Verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, Jesus is that living stone. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, this stone that the builders rejected has become another cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our identity is found in the work of Jesus. And, and, and remember the context here for a moment of that passage we just read. If, if you backtrack in your own Bible right now and you look at the first two verses of the entire letter, who is he writing to? Who is Peter giving this encouragement, these, these words to? Who is he writing to? The church in exile, right? He's talking to specific Christian believers who were scattered because of persecution called the Great Dispersion. And they're in what's covering, totally covering what's now modern-day Turkey, okay? And so these believers were sent into this exile, and you better believe that they lost some stuff, right? You better believe they lost their homes. They might have even lost people they loved in that, in that persecution and in that scattering. And so Peter is writing to a people who are in the middle of an identity crisis. Do you get that? And that's why that's, that's so impactful for us right now. That's why this encouragement is so important for us now. Because Peter sees their situation and he's thinking through what they must be feeling and going through and questioning. Right? And so his encouragement to them centers around the work of Jesus, not in their lost job. Okay? His encouragement centers around the work of Jesus to bring them a home and a family, not the one they had to leave behind. Do you see that? I mean, that's, that's huge. And I, 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 there's no way that in a room full of this many people that somebody in here has not already gone through an identity crisis or lost someone they love or something that they love. And so this morning, this passage, this encouragement is for you. As believers in Jesus, this passage is for you. Let's read verse 6 again. Look at that. For it stands in Scripture. This is the center of his entire encouragement. It stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And what's the next line say? And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever finds their identity in him will not be put to shame. That's huge. This passage is actually, I mean, it's quoted a ton of times in the New Testament. It's from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Okay, you might want to make a note of that. It's a great passage. Jesus uses it several times in the Gospels. Paul and Peter both center entire arguments for Jesus being the Messiah from this passage. So this was huge to the New Testament church. That the fact that Jesus is this stone being laid in Zion. 
at his death, being buried in that grave, right? And and the work that he accomplished on the cross by dying for our sins, the atonement, we talked about it many weeks ago, okay? That atonement is is the cornerstone for everything we believe as Christians. It's our foundation for our entire religion. Our entire way of life depends on this cornerstone, and that's what the word means. It means our foundation. And he wants these believers who have just experienced this crazy, uh, not just cultural shift, but this crazy just life shift, this crisis of identity, he wants them to make sure they're finding their identity in the foundation of Jesus' work. His death pays for our sins, and his resurrection secures our future. And that was true for them, and that's true for us this morning. And before we get carried away here, I want you to be thinking about, like, how, how can Jesus' work possibly secure our future and pay for our sin? How, how can that happen? Like, why, why is it that it just comes down to his work and not my own? And the reason is two words. They're repeated twice in this passage. But look at this. He's, the stone laid in Zion is a cornerstone. What's it say? What's it say about the cornerstone? Chosen and precious. Say it again. In the sight of God. Look at verse 4. In the sight of God. This living stone. This, this, his son, Jesus, is his chosen and precious son. And that's important. And here's why. The reason, the reason Jesus' death was able to pay for our sins is because he is the most precious Thing in the sight of God. And an item's value is determined by what one is willing to pay for it. Point in case, antique cars. Most of them are trash. You wouldn't take them on a road trip because you can't trust their engines. And yet these things that were made like 60 years ago will go for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they might have gone for maybe five grand back when they were created. You know? Point in case. What a collector is willing to pay for that car determines the actual value of that vehicle. The same thing for old guitars, right, Shane? Instruments made by Gibson back in the 60s, man, these things go for like 24G, man. That's crazy stuff. An item's value is determined by what one is willing to pay for it. Don't miss the work of Christ and what it means for you. You are infinitely valuable to God because what he was willing to do in sacrificing the most precious thing in his existence his son ascribes to you the infinite value of Jesus himself you are valuable this never ending precious work of Jesus labels you forever if you believe in And those who believe in him will not be put to shame. It doesn't matter if if you lose your job. It doesn't matter if your child dies. It doesn't matter what you go through. Your identity and value are set by the one who sacrificed it all to gain you. That's your value and it never ends. Let's read that again. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not 
be put to shame. Our identity is all about what God was willing to pay. In church, Jesus paid it all for you. Our identity is found in the work of Jesus. Amen? Let's back up, though, to verse 4 and 5. The verses that started this passage. I want you to see this. Okay? Because it's not just about the work Jesus worked for you in the past. Your identity is also found in the work of Jesus now. In what he's doing in your life now. Check this out in verse 4. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, put to death, right? But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, I love he calls him a living stone. You know why? Because Jesus didn't stay dead, right? He came back to life. Presently, he is alive. But notice verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, similar to Jesus. Why? Because he died for you, and the value of his life was ascribed to yours. So similar to him, you, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That verb, being built up in the Greek, is a passive action. It means it's not something you do, it's something that's done for you, to you. Make sense? And it's in the present tense. Fancy term means it's happening right now. Right? You and I, as believers in Jesus, are being built by Jesus, by God, Brick by brick, layer by layer, struggle by struggle, joy by joy into who he already sees you as. You are being built as a spiritual house, holy priesthood. Holy priesthood. That's how Jesus sees you. Holy priest. And I was talking with my friend about this passage, and he he brought up something I didn't really think through in the beginning. Many of us might see the work of Jesus to to save us, right? So that we wouldn't be put to shame. But we also see the work of Jesus as something he's doing right now, causing us to look more and more like him, dealing with each and every issue that comes up in our life, sin, struggle, everything. Like a master carpenter kind of chiseling away, okay? Removing rough edges, causing us to be shaped into who he wants us to be. The image he already has in his mind, right? Here's the thing I didn't think through. When we read holy priesthood, we read a job title, yes? And the issue is that that us as Americans, when we read a job title, we immediately begin to think through the qualifications and the job requirements for that position. Am I right? This, this is why someone without a high school diploma can't always become the mega CEO of a, of a corporation unless they build it themselves, you know? And even then, he may not make it, you know? And so, and so picture the CEO who's totally met every single qualification, and that's why he has his position, making the mega dollars, right? And we see that, and immediately maybe we might be thinking because of the, the thoughts coming to our minds based on our identity found in who we are, who we think we are, our stuff, the people we know, whatever, what pe- other people say about us. We might be realizing in this moment a truth. You are not qualified. Right? None of us are. But listen. That's what makes it so important that our identity is found in the work of Jesus. 
Because his death qualifies you. His work in coming back from the grave secures your future. You are not qualified as a holy priesthood apart from the work of Jesus. And he's building you every single day to look more like him because he's already given you his holiness. And think about that word priest and what it signifies. Everywhere in the Bible, here is the the job description of a priest. You ready? They are set apart to serve the Lord, to minister to people, and to intercede on their behalf. Does this make sense? They're set apart to serve the Lord, to minister to other people, and to intercede on their behalf. That's That's the job description of a priest. And that's the whole reason That's the whole reason you have been born again. So that you can can live for eternity with Jesus? Yes. But we have a purpose, right? I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's coming in a moment. But I want you guys to see that he already sees you as something. And so in this moment, I want you to direct your your thoughts and your eyes to verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2. And I don't want you to miss this. So if, you, if you've tuned me out this far, go ahead and turn, turn the ears back on for a moment. All right? Because I'm about to answer the question, how does God see me? Is that fair? If our identity should not be based on what the world tells us about us, or the things that we have, or the things we've done in our past, if that doesn't, if that doesn't define our identity, then what does? The work of Jesus? Yes. Because he already sees you as this. Look in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. I see four things. I see four, four, little, four little facts about you in this passage. First, you're chosen. We as believers, the church of God, are a chosen race. And when we mean chosen, we mean, listen, this is all of us on the playground and Jesus chooses us for his team. We're the misfit kids that in our minds, we would, get, we would go last. We're the ones that people might argue, oh, okay. I guess you can take so-and-so. You can have Jeff. I don't want him, right? But in the sight of God, we are the first choice. He gave up his best to gain us. Our value is determined by what he was willing to pay, and we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. I want you to see that word royal for a second. That has to do with honor. There is only one king of the universe, ladies and gentlemen, and that's Jesus. But when we place faith in him and his resurrection, God adopts us into his family. And the Bible says we become co-heirs with Christ. You have been given honor because Jesus was given honor. You are now a royal priesthood. You're not the poor, insignificant person that the world might want you to think that you are or that your financial situation might say that you are. You are royalty because of the work of Jesus, a royal priesthood. 
a holy nation. And there's that word holy again, right? Set apart, perfect, different, clean, pure. It has all of those meanings kind of wrapped up into this one word that we can never fully describe. But God sees you as a holy nation covered by Jesus' perfection, His completed work and His ongoing work. That's how God sees you. He sees you chosen. He sees you as royal. He sees you as holy. And He sees you as His. A people for His own possession. Listen, you are the kids that he brags about. Every morning uh, when, when I get up and I have to go to work, whether it's to come out here or whether it's to wash windows during the week, that's my second job. And when I do that, I have to get up super early to get there. And so Ronan is still asleep. That's my son's name. And, and, and every morning, as soon as they wake up, and he's lying there next to Melinda because she always brings him into bed with her for the, like the, his first ten minutes being awake, whatever, man, it's our baby. We can cuddle with him. You know, and, and inevitably she takes a selfie with him and he, he'll be smiling or have like a quizzical look or it doesn't matter what he looks like. He can have snot coming down his face. She sends the picture to me and immediately I get this. And I'm like, yes, you know, like this is so cute. My boy is so awesome. Like my, my partner, Craig, who drives the truck that I work in, like he knows immediately when I've received the picture, you know, because all of a sudden I go quiet. Next thing you know, I start like breathing heavy. I'm like, yes, you know, this, and, I, and all, I always show him, you know, well, that's not true. You know, Melinda has to be presentable. But you know what I'm saying? Like I, I show him the picture because my son is the most gorgeous son in the world. I'm sorry, it just is. He is to me at the very least. And right, an item's value is determined by what one is willing to pay for it. I would give my life for that kid. And, and so when, I, when, I, when you hear this word, his own possession, talking about you, you are God's precious child that he brags about. I mean, he gave, up, he gave up his most precious son to gain you as his children. You are precious in his sight. He loves you. Your identity is not based on the way you believe your body looks. Your identity is found in the work of Jesus to gain you as his kid. And he brags about you, man. We find out in the Bible that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. Man, he brags about you. The Holy Spirit, when you don't know how to pray, is already praying in groans and moans that you don't even understand. You can't comprehend. It's a deeper language. He brags about you. He loves you. Your identity is found in Him. And I I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I read it right. Listen to this. We are His favorite kids. And all too often we beat ourselves up because our focus is wrong. We're focusing on stuff or the way the world sees us or how we look in the mirror, right? And so we focus on stuff and self and history and orientation. And the crisis comes because the truth is we are not qualified. Our stuff will let us down. People will let us down. We've messed up. But this is what I love. But thank God that we are not who we think we are. We are who he says we are. Is there anyone in here who needs to thank God for that this morning? You are not who you think you are. You're not how you see yourself in the mirror. You're not how Wall Street views your portfolio. 
You're not how your boss sees you, how your brother or sister sees you, how your mom or dad sees you. You are who Jesus says that you are. And that's huge because he says you are chosen, you are royal, you are holy, and you are his. Oh my goodness, that is huge. Our identity is found in the work of Jesus, but listen, our purpose is to glorify him. See, purpose is always linked together with identity. People, we find our purpose in life based on the way we see ourselves or what we do in the same way we we base our identity. They are tied together. Purpose and identity. And verse 9 tells us that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him. And I want you guys to notice, remember who Peter's talking to. These guys who, and gals who have lost their homes, they've lost their stuff, they've lost their loved ones, and they're all of a sudden in a strange place. And the only constant, stable thing that they have is the work of Jesus in them and who he says that they are. Because he's unchanging. Therefore, their status is unchanging. It cannot be affected. Their value does not fluctuate based on the market. Their value is set. Because Jesus' work is set. It's done. And so what he's saying to them in their situation is, praise God in whatever context you find yourself in. Praise God wherever you are. No matter what your body looks like, no matter what your boss says about you, no matter what your spouse thinks about you, or how you view yourself, your value is set Praise God in the context you're in. Think about Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, it's just after Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible after Jesus, all right, when he was put to death for believing in God and not recanting that Jesus rose again from the dead to save sinners, he was stoned. And after this moment, a huge persecution swept the church in Jerusalem, and the people were scattered. And you know what they did when they were scattered? In Acts 11, they told other people. It's almost like God scattered them on purpose, right? So that they would praise God in whatever context they were in, wherever he would send them. Our purpose is to glorify him. Acts chapter 16, Paul and the Philippian jailer. You guys know this story, right? Paul is, is out there and Silas, they're out there preaching the gospel and all of a sudden because they, they, they saw this woman's life changed, they get thrown into jail. After being beaten and flogged, and immediately they're praising God. At midnight it says they're praising God right there, beaten in a jail cell, chains on their wrists and their feet, and they're praising God because they know the truth. Their purpose is to praise and glorify Him in whatever context we're in. And listen, here's here's a takeaway point. True praise begins the moment your brokenness collides with the limitless love of God for undeserving people. True praise starts in that moment. And praise is the only response when the stains of your past and all of your insecurities become swallowed up in the precious, never-ending, loving work of Jesus to gain you as the kid he brags about. That's awesome. 
Our identity is found in the work of Jesus. But listen, listen. Our purpose is to glorify him. Let's look at verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. If you were his toy, he would write his name on your foot with a permanent marker right here. And the reason that he calls you these things is so that you would praise and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Because at one point in time, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. At one point, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So proclaim his excellencies. Stop letting your job, your spouse, your kids, your friends define your value. Allow your value to be set by the price God paid for it in the work of Jesus. And remember that Jesus is a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. If you believe in him this morning, then even though your life is a masterpiece of God in progress, a work in progress, God already sees you the way he he pictures in his mind. Your value is set. It doesn't fluctuate. And our response to this reality should be to praise him. I'm going to ask Hopefully Jeff and Hannah to come up. We'll see what we'll see what the, the technology allows us to do. Our response, our purpose is to glorify him. And so I would like for you all to stand this morning and help us to praise and glorify Jesus. But I want you to hear this as you stand. We're going to sing a couple of songs. We're not just going to sing one. Because this is important. And as we sing these lyrics, regardless of how it ends up sounding because of technology, I want you to think about the words and allow the truth of Scripture to tell you who you are. And thank God for that, that you were chosen, that you were holy and royal, and that you're His. Can we praise God this morning? Here's one last thing. Go ahead and start playing whenever you're you're able. Some of you this morning, though, you can't praise God. Because praise, true praise, begins when your brokenness collides with the limitless love of God and your stains and your past and your history and your insecurities are swallowed up by the loving, precious, never-ending work of Jesus.